Tourists, welcome to tour number 128 of Disney Conversations. I'm your host and sole tour conductor today, Magical Matthew. On this tour, we're going to continue our look at Walt's plan and how Animal Kingdom fits into it. Now, over the past few months, I've been giving you glimpses of Walt Disney's plan for what he termed the Florida Project. We began by looking at Magic Kingdom and how it became the starting point for all that was going to happen at the Florida property. When we looked at Epcot Center and discussed Walt's original idea compared to what we have now, we realized that there were some differences, but maybe Walt was okay with some of these changes. We talked about Disney's Hollywood Studios and its beginning, and now we're up to a discussion on Disney's Animal Kingdom. But we're going to start by looking back on Walt and his fascination with the animal world. I hope you're ready for this quick look that with a little bit of luck will be thorough and somewhat entertaining at the same time. Are you strapped in? Well then let's go, all aboard. Now when we think of Walt Disney and his connection to the animal world, we must go back to the creation of Walt Disney's True Life Adventures. The first such adventure debuted in 1948 and it was titled Seal Island. Just a note that I went looking on Disney Plus and this one does not appear to be available there. In fact, most of them are not. But that was followed by The Living Desert in 1953, White Wilderness in 1958, and Jungle Cat in 1960. Oddly, the year I was born. And all these films were either nominated or won Academy Awards in different areas. The quality of these short features was amazing for the time, and it leads us to where we want to go. The Disney Company has a history of conservation efforts dating back to Walt and his overall vision for what is important. He always believed that we were meant to take care of this world. And that means that we have to be good stewards of this vast creation. Disney has supported these efforts through several different avenues. First, we have the Disney Conservation Fund, which provides grants to nonprofit organizations working in communities to save wildlife, inspire action, and protect the planet. This fund has supported 2,000 projects in 120 countries, benefiting hundreds of animal species and millions of people. The Disney Conservation Team Wildlife leads scientific programs to conserve wildlife in Disney's backyard and beyond. It connects people to build a network of nature and cares for the planet through everyday actions. This group works with partners to monitor, study, and protect animals such as butterflies, sea turtles, elephants, and lions. It also works to restore habitats like forests, wetlands, and coral reefs. And then there's the Disney nature film, which I think is really just the true life adventures on steroids. But they produce nature documentaries, much like the old true life did. And that showcases the beauty and diversity of wildlife and habitats from around the world. And in conjunction with the Disney Conservation Fund, 
a donation in honor of each person who watches the film in the first week of release is made. These films help plant trees, they protect chimpanzees, and establish marine protected areas because of the funding structure. There is one way that the Disney Company supports conservation, potentially the largest part of them all, and that's coming up, so please, don't go away. Perhaps the best-known part of Disney's conservation effort comes to us in the form of a theme park. Opening on Earth Day, April 22, 1998, Disney's Animal Kingdom became the fourth theme park at the Walt Disney World Vacation Kingdom. Many people wondered, why are they putting a zoo in the middle of all this land? But they soon discovered that this park is much more than a zoo. It is an experience to be had. And as we discussed in Tour 127, a man by the name of Joe Rohde had the idea to recreate something of a nature preserve in Florida to allow guests to get up close and personal with the animals, as close as possible. After months of study in Africa and Asia, Disney began to create an immersive experience that opened up these abilities. During his presentation to the Disney board, Joe Rohde did a very unique thing. He brought a special friend in the form of a 400-pound Bengal tiger to the meeting. And Joe ended up being one of the principal Imagineers on the Animal Kingdom project. Let's talk a little bit about the park. When you first enter, you walk through the Discovery Island trails. And I think this is an homage to the old Discovery Island that once existed in the middle of Bay Lake near the Contemporary Resort. Here, you will walk through an area that allows you to see some of the smaller species of animals, as well as many of the feathered friends that fly around the park. Once you clear the Discovery Island area, you see the iconic Tree of Life. Make sure you take time to walk around the base and look at the sculptures in the roots. They're simply amazing. And I remember my son particularly really enjoyed taking his time looking at that. From here, you can decide where you want to begin your journey. Keep in mind there are two main areas to consider, Africa and Asia. And for this excursion, I want to start in my favorite place. Because in my opinion, one of the best attractions in all of Walt Disney World is Kilimanjaro Safari. The safari alone is a little more than 100 acres of space. You ride in a safari vehicle with a guide that drives you around and gives you a brief but accurate description of the animals that you may see along the way. You can see anything from giraffe to okapi to lions and so much more. You'll find that a number of the animals that they are keeping at Disney's Animal Kingdom are on an endangered list. So there is something to be said for the effort of bringing these animals back to a point where there's no fear of losing them. There is also a lot of talk on these safaris about the conservation efforts that are being made around the world as a result of the cooperation through the Disney Company. They even suggest ways while you're at Animal Kingdom to support those conservation efforts. So pay attention if you take this little ride. 
when you get off Kilimanjaro Safari, you might as well just go ahead and roam right into the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail. Here you get to look at some great apes of Africa, some that are very rare. And sure, it requires a little bit of walking, but it's kind of on the way out anyhow, so you might as well just go ahead and take a look. And while you're in the Harambe area of Animal Kingdom, go ahead and wander into the Festival of the Lion King. This has been an opening day attraction that has endured time. It did move at one point, but the show is still very much the same. The new theater is exactly like the old one, and it is still a very popular place for guests. And just about every show is full. You can walk over and catch the Wildlife Express train that takes you to Rafiki's Planet Watch. Here you'll enter the conservation station. There are interactive exhibits that showcase conservation efforts throughout the world, and you can observe procedures involving some of the animals at Animal Kingdom as they may need some veterinary attention. Also at Rafiki's is the affection section. This is a petting zoo with domesticated animals. However, they are not always the kind of animals we think of when we use the word domesticated. So you might see something you didn't expect. Over in Asia, you can experience the Maharaja jungle trek. There are over 100 species of animals in this area alone, a few of which include tigers, Komodo dragons, and bats. Again, it is a walkthrough, but the Animal Kingdom naturalists are there to add to the experience, so don't be afraid to ask questions. You may want to jump on Cali River Rapids, although for me, that's an end-of-the-day experience because you will most likely get pretty wet, especially if the water pressure is turned up all the way. And while not an opening day attraction, an addition came to Animal Kingdom on April 7th, 2006, when Expedition Everest was added to the Asian area. And this is a thrill seeker's dream. This roller coaster introduces you to the Yeti. It's not as scary as it once was, as there was actually what everybody expected to be a life-size Yeti that moved inside the mountain. However, due to years of operation that caused some damage that's going to be very difficult to repair, they have gone into what they call a B-mode. Yeti is still there, just not in the same form. From all accounts, it's still a very good attraction. I know that my family loves it. And the cool thing is that this was not an already-owned IP that Disney had. This was created as an original attraction. In a moment, we're going to talk about the latest addition to Disney's Animal Kingdom and how it relates to the conservation effort. We'll be right back. A little more than two years ago, I made myself sit and watch Avatar. I figured if I was going to visit Pandora, I needed to know more about it. And personally, I love science fiction. But when I saw this movie for the first time, I was quickly bored and lost interest. It just didn't hit right for me. But when the announcement came in September of 2011 that Disney's Animal Kingdom was going to add Pandora as a land, I felt like it was more important for me to watch. So I made myself watch it. With that, I began to understand more about how it could fit at Disney's Animal Kingdom, and I'm 
pretty sure I'm not alone with that initial thought as to whether or not it fit. I can go on record now as saying I am a fan, and I think it fits quite well. And the reason is because the movie does talk a lot about conserving resources. It's important for the survival of the inhabitants. And after all, isn't that why we do conservation efforts? We're supposed to be good stewards of our planet. Do some people go overboard with that? Perhaps. But everybody should have some sort of responsibility. Now, there was a lot that had to be done before the construction of Avatar could even begin. To start with, it was designated to be done in an area called Camp Mini-Mickey. And as you probably all remember, that was the original home for Festival of the Lion King. And as I said before, great show, don't miss it, but don't worry, it's still here. After a brief bit of questioning by Disney fanatics, Disney finally announced that Festival of the Lion King would not be lost, but would be moved to a new theater in the Harambe section of Animal Kingdom. And as we mentioned before, that new theater is almost an exact duplicate to the old one. I've been in it a couple of times. I can't see a difference. Now, once Festival of the Lion King was moved out of the way, full construction was able to begin. On January 10th of 2014, they started digging. Pandora then opened on May 27th of 2017. It's a themed area of Disney's Animal Kingdom that is inspired by James Cameron's popular movie. And as a result, we have some of the best attractions ever put together by Disney. For instance, you've got Flight of Passage. It's an exhilarating 3D ride that lets you soar on the back of a mountain banshee, a winged creature that is sacred to the Navi. You're probably used to soaring. If you haven't been on this ride yet, it's pretty much a soaring type attraction with the difference being that you are actually mounted on a banshee, or at least that's what it feels like. They did a really cool job with this. They use 3D imaging on a big movie screen. It gives you the sensation of flying through the area of Pandora. You can see all the landscapes, the floating mountains, and the bioluminescent forests. It's an amazing attraction. I enjoyed it, and I get motion sickness. I'm ready to get back on it. The other attraction at Avatar is the Navi River Journey. And it's a typical riverboat ride, but it's got some of the best animatronics I think Disney's ever done. Most especially the Navi Shaman. Very, very beautiful animatronic. And of course, the decor around Pandora is amazing. The floating mountains, the sounds, the sights, everything is fantastic. And if you're hungry, you might want to check out Satuli Canteen. This is the main dining option in Pandora. It can be a little bit expensive. You got Pangu Pangu if you just want something to drink and a few snacks to work on. And yes, it does. it is a bar. And the main shopping area around there is Wind Traders. They have some Avatar-specific items that you can pick up. You can get cultural items. They have a banshee puppet. And if I recall correctly, that sits on your shoulder. That would be kind of cool. You can make your own avatar. I didn't look up prices for those because I didn't want to know. So feel free. And as far as Disney's Animal Kingdom go, there have been some recent indications 
about more changes or additions that could be coming along. But in fine Disney style, there has been little to no information given, and speculation on this is running crazy. There have been rumors that Indiana Jones once again may show up in place of Dinosaur. We do know that Zootopia is going to have a presence where it's tough to be a bug currently resides. We don't really know if that's going to be a movie, a stage show, or what, but it's something less than what I think most of us were hoping for. And we all know that something has to be done with Dino Land. I mean, after all, there's a big hole where Primeval World used to stand. So who knows? Maybe, just maybe, Disney will make some major announcements before too long. That concludes this series on Walt's dream for the Florida Project. But stand by, because I have something personal that I want to share with all of you. And I'll be right back. Tourists, what I have to share with you now is very difficult for me. When I began Disney Conversations just over two and a half years ago, I had hoped to make a small dent in the podcast realm. I got excited because I was able to find a couple of co-hosts to help me along the way. After all, if it's a conversation, you need more than one person, right? You may have noticed in recent months that shows have become more spread out and that many times it's just been me. And to be honest, I bore myself sometimes. These last few tours that I've done alone, I've worked really hard to put a positive spin on them, to be up, and to give you as much good information as I could find. But it is a difficult task, as it is sometimes hard to get folks to come on as guests, co-hosts, and through illness and other issues, the co-host pool has shrunk dramatically, and I'm running dry on ideas. I do want to take a moment to thank the co-hosts that have come along. Mindy Muir, you are a wonderful, wonderful lady. I am so grateful that we got to meet and that we got to share this as much as we could. I will continue to pray for you, and I hope our friendship grows stronger through the years. Diane Whiting, I can't thank you enough. You provided the extra backup when it was needed. You provided a lot of excellent information for those who are planning trips for both Walt Disney World and Disneyland. And from the bottom of my heart, Diane, I thank you. Jeanette Pellegrini, you've been wonderful. The friendship we've built means a lot to me, and I thank you for helping out when you were able. And Lori Harding, you've always been willing to step in and pinch it when needed, and I can't thank you enough for that or for your friendship. It was awesome meeting you last year on vacation and sharing a few moments with you. I'll never forget that, and I hope we can do it again sometime soon. But most of all, I want to thank you, tourists, for your support and your input. You were few, but you were vital to this little show. But for now, it's time to bid you all farewell. This is Magical Matthew, and until we meet again, TTFN. <laughs>